Hey, Shelly, do you remember the days of being in corporate talent acquisition? Oh, absolutely. Every time the phone rang, it was another staffing agency claiming to be innovative and different. I used to wonder when someone would truly elevate the industry. Well, hold on to your hat here because that's exactly what Van Hack has done. Shelly, picture this a closed community of pre verified tech talent ready to relocate to Canada with all the paperwork taken care of. Sounds too good to be true? Well, not anymore. Van Hack has made it a reality. They have built the community of skilled software developers eager to make the move, and they handle the entire immigration process. And that's not all. They're taking it up a notch. Companies with offshore development teams, listen up. Van Hack's introducing the Canadian Engineering Office. Move your entire dev team to Canada, and Van Hack handles all the nitty-gritty details of immigration and relocation. So can you imagine, Serge? The applause from your CIO if you were to walk into his office and bring this solution to the table. Shelly, every time I walk into an office, I get applause. But that's not all. (laughs) The best part is they've got certified immigration consultants on board who've done this countless times. They understand that every family situation is unique. Revolutionize the way you recruit, relocate, and retain talent because when it comes to innovation in the talent acquisition world, Van Hack is leading the charge. Get ready to be the hero of your company. Check out vanhack.com today. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, we launched this practitioner series interviews because we got such great insights from people that are actually doing the job on a daily basis. Yeah, I am very pleased to have on our show today as part of our practitioner series, the lovely Deanna Brousseau. She is the Director of People and Talent at Alta ML. Welcome to the show, Deanna. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Well, thank you for agreeing because we do reach out and know that not everybody's comfortable with being on a podcast. Put your mind at ease. We're your people. So for our audience that have not met you or maybe aren't connected with you on LinkedIn, can you give us a little bit about your background and how you got into your current role as Director of People and Talent? Yeah, absolutely. So I am currently the Director of People and Talent at Elta ML. My background is in human resources and labor relations. So that is where my educational background came from. I was the typical student aspiring to be an HR manager working in oil and gas, primarily because I was in Calgary at the time getting my education. And so there was a big oil and gas boom. And I thought, oh, I just want to be an HR manager there and do all the things, you know. But I accidentally fell into recruitment, as I think all of us do. There's maybe a few folks out there that are like, no, recruitment was always my go-to plan. But I think maybe 99.9% of us (laughs) accidentally fall into it. And so recruitment was my very first role straight out of my post-secondary education. It was mass hiring and primarily in the construction area. So mass hiring for scaffolders, welders, you name it, across Canada. So very busy, high level, high scale. And I started to run a team there 
in order to provide help to these folks to land a job that didn't even know, A, how to create a resume. They're calling in, they're saying, I need work, and we would help them. So it was very bare bones. It was very aggressive. It was very stressful, but in a good way. And so I fell in love with just the stakeholder relationship on the hiring partner side. I like to call them instead of managers, and I can get into that later, but also on the candidate side of the candidate experience. So I felt like I can do some damage here and really grow my career on the talent side. And from oil and gas, I transitioned into nonprofit. So I've worked in nonprofit before. And then from nonprofit, I also worked into arm's length government. And then that takes me to today where I work in scale up tech company in AI. And I never thought I'd be here. I actually thought I wasn't qualified for the role, believe it or not, when I applied for it, because I thought, well, I don't have a network of software developers or ML engineers. Like, what is AI? What is this place? And so that was three years ago when AltaML was looking for a recruiter. Got the job, obviously, and now I've just been growing my career here, and now it's more focused on talent and people. So it's just the holistic 360 of the employee life cycle that I am trying to elevate and work on and pay attention to and nurture. That's a little bit about me. Awesome. I'm so curious to learn more about Alta ML because here's the truth. Most people ask the same thing. What is machine learning? Is that different than AI? So school us, what does Alta ML do? And is it AI or is it machine learning? Help us, educate us here. 100%. Even our website, it's beautiful, but it is hard for folks that don't have that background to go, okay, well, what really is it? In a nutshell, Alta ML, we are an applied AI studio. And what applied AI means is we're building machine learning solutions that can actually be implemented in a client's environment. So they're using the ML models that we are building, and that's where the applied AI comes in. So you can think about AI and ML together in a sense, but it's applied AI where they're actually using the models that we're building. And these models are all driven to predict outcomes. The work that we do is all about elevating human potential with applied AI. It's not about replacing humans. I think there's a lot of fear out there in the market about AI coming and removing the human workforce and unethical use cases of AI. We're not in that game. We're not about that. And so one of the really great solutions that we're implementing is predicting wildfires across Alberta, across BC, working with local governments. And you see it every summer, we have wildfires across Canada. And I think this is a really impactful use case to predict the hot zones, if you will, of where a potential fire could start. And then working with local governments on staffing up for those events. And so essentially, we apply these ML solutions to various organizations and various industries, we work with them as a partner. And we go, okay, what is the problem that you're trying to solve? And they have their own internal data team. We partner together. They give us access to their data. We work with the data, we clean the data, and then we propose solutions to them. So that takes an army of folks. There's software developers, there's product owners, there's project delivery managers, and they all work together in this really nice unison to deliver great service to these clients. And then the clients just start to see, okay, there's synergy here. We can partner together. And we allow them to really get themselves to the next level in terms of how productive they are, in terms of cost savings, et cetera. But the one thing in common with all of our use cases is that it is responsible AI. We ensure that everything that we do 
has the responsible AI element and it doesn't go out of scope of that. That's LTML in a nutshell. Okay. Love it. I get it now. <laughs> yeah, that was a really good explanation. That was great. I want to know a little bit more about the type of roles that your team recruits for. You mentioned a little bit about software devs and machine learning engineers, but how many roles do you recruit? What type of roles do you usually recruit for? We never really have a standing number of recs that we have at any given time because we are quite reactive in terms of what we hire for because it's based on what our clients need at that time. So yeah. we run a pretty lean ship and that's by design. We never want to be that tech company that overhires and goes, oh, we don't have any work. We don't have any clients coming up. So now we have to do a massive layoff. Strategically, we keep it quite tight. But we do get a little bit of headway in terms of seeing what the market is telling us in terms of what our clients are saying. So we can be more proactive on the talent side in terms of sourcing and building that pipeline. But the roles that we're usually hiring for are both on the technical and non-technical side. So on the technical side, we have, of course, machine learning developers. That's probably 40% of our team here. On the business side, we have, I mentioned before, project delivery managers. So essentially a project manager. But these folks are, again, making sure that the projects are running smoothly. They're removing roadblocks. They're in with the technical folks. They're also able to understand and translate technical concepts to clients. So it's not just that they're there to ensure the clients are happy. They're really translating what's happening on the back end while we're building out a solution. So those are our project delivery managers, and they are unreal. We usually look for folks that have a background in project management or even in engineering situations because engineers have great project management skills. And then we also hire for executive business partners. That's okay. another big title for account managers, if you will. So mm -hmm. these folks are responsible for farming our accounts, growing our accounts. What's next within this client account? And then we also have our business ops side. That is the finance team, the marketing team, the people yeah. team, the IT team. So we also hire for those individuals as well. And it's small, but we provide a really high level of service to multiple folks in the organization. Deanna, having worked in a very similar business to what you're recruiting for, I'm wondering with all these different segments, is there a different recruitment process or is it standardized for a software dev to a business ops person? How did mm -hmm. you create the process internally to recruit? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So it is quite different in terms of what we're testing for. Okay. For our technical folks, no doubt, they will always have a technical assessment. So we usually like to do it twofold. We like to give them a case study or a technical assessment that they can do on their own time that doesn't take you know, hours and hours and hours to do, because we also want to respect the candidate's time. But then if they do well on that technical assessment, that take-home assignment, then we will actually live test them over video and throw them questions and see how they do. We'll do live coding assessments and use a variety of tools for that. But that is a technical side. And then, of course, there's always a culture interview. There's a panel interview. But across all of these different roles, we don't want to do any more than four touch points because it can really exhaust the candidate. It can also cause confusion to the candidate of why mm. I'm meeting with these people. <laughs> so yeah. we try to do it in four or less touch points. On the business side, we really want to test for potential. And I've stressed this because I think historically, it's, okay, let me look at your resume. Okay, you are just shy of five years. We need five years. We're not going to consider you, right? We're looking historically. Whereas right now we need to be pivoting more on, okay, so what can you do in the future? How are you going to approach the situation? Well, it's all about situational questions, right? Basically, we would tell them about something that happened and it could be actually something that did happen here in the workplace. Yeah. 
And what would you do? How would you deliver to this client? And so we try to put them into real case scenarios and test them to see how they would react, how they would respond. We call those case studies. And so we do a case study interview where we really get into how they would be in the role in a certain situation that is less than ideal because it happens. And really, because we are so client-facing, we have to ensure these folks are confident in their delivery. So we need to test those things out and make sure that they're the right person for us. I'm curious, as you're going through these assessments, and I remember two years ago, a company I worked for, when the market got so hot that we were losing candidates by doing an assessment. I wonder if the same thing happened to Alto ML and you've come back to doing the assessments. We had to shorten our interview timeline probably by half. And we stopped giving those take-home assessments and did them live. It was really what happened because I was nervous saying, okay, here's an assessment. It's not paid because I think a lot of candidates were saying, well, if I'm doing this on my own time, I want to be paid for it. I want to be compensated. And so we have to be careful there and say, okay, well, if there is something that we want you to work on, we'll just do it during the interview time and do it live. And so we had to really customize our approach to ensure that we weren't losing folks. And so now that the market's kind of softened up a bit, it's not as, oh my gosh, we're going to lose them. We're able to take our time a little bit more, but also it's a fair balance because you don't want to cross a line and do too many touch points. I think we missed one important part of how you accomplish all this. And so I'm going to come back and ask, how big is your team, Deanna? You said it was small. Give us some context around the systems and process that you built for what size and scale of an organization. Absolutely. So pre-COVID, we were 40 people. And then during COVID, it was like a time of scaling. And we got to 140 people. Today, we're sitting at that number. And that includes a variety of full-time, part-time. There's a whole makeup of different types of employees that we have. And we've scaled from just being like an Edmonton-focused shop to having an office in Calgary, Toronto and Waterloo. And so now we've scaled across Canada. So it's been quite successful. We're holding steady right now just due to to the market demands and clients. So still very small, right? If you think about it. Tell us about the technology stack that you're using. What tools have you provided for your team? Yeah, absolutely. So we use Lever as our ATS. And I actually quite like Lever. I like the back end of it. I like the data that it pulls, the visual insights that it gives us. Our team right now is really into talent ops and really looking into the metrics and really looking into the conversion of hires and predicting, okay, so if that hire got strong hire assessments across the board, are they going to be a strong performer three months out, six months out? Are they going to have a promotion? So studying our hiring efficacy, if you will. And so Lever provides that for us. Lever provides the trends of who on the panel is a constant no hire kind of person, right? Because yeah. we all know those that are just like, nah. And so we're able to go, okay, so-and-so loves to say no to everybody. Let's have a chat. Let's hone this person in. So Lever is perfect for that. I find it's ease of use. There's keyword searchable functions in there. If I want to search from folks from U of Waterloo, I can just type U Waterloo. It pulls everybody in our database. It's good for pipelining, for sourcing, for LinkedIn. So yes, we use Lever for ATS. We obviously use LinkedIn Recruiter for sourcing. Mm. That is what it's all about. We don't believe in posting and praying. We don't believe in just sitting around waiting for folks to apply. We have to go and hunt them. So it's that sales methodology that we wear as well. So LinkedIn Recruiter helps a ton with that. 
I love also looking at the metrics of our email response rates because it's really cool if you try something new and you can see it like working or not, and then you can pivot from there. You know what I loved that you were talking about, Deanna, is when you were describing the problems that Alta ML is solving, and you started talking about your use of Lever as an applicant tracking system, talk about drinking your own Kool-Aid. You're looking at this from how can we use data to predict mm-hmm. things, right? When you're looking at the talent landscape, because we know when trying to recruit tech talent, the market will shift and then it'll shift back. Is there any interest for Alta ML to be able to look at those things? Because for us being selfish, I would love some sort of predictive tool that could look at market trends for high demand and low availability. I don't know. Uh, Maybe I'm crossing a line here and asking you to share trade secrets, but that would be so cool. You're not, you're not crossing the line at all. And it's honestly something that we've been thinking about doing. I know we have a number of potential product ideas for the talent landscape that our own people could build easily. And so we're having these discussions because what I'm also curious of is in this landscape, especially in machine learning and AI, even if the labor market is slowing down, it is never slowing down with AI and ML. That just does not exist in Mm. where we're working right now. And we're seeing now, I don't know if you've seen this, but um, Netflix and other companies, they are offering upwards of $900,000 to AI talent. And they are going everywhere. They are looking under rocks. And so we have to be ready for that because how can you compete with a $900,000 salary? So we have to make sure that we're on top of it and we have those pipelines and we are actively promoting what we do best. But I would also be curious in seeing, okay, so what are the chances that this person would accept this offer versus somebody like a Netflix or a fan company that comes in and offers an inflated salary. But what speaks to them? What are their values? What are the chances? Aside from that, currently what we're doing is we're analyzing our current data that's coming in from Mother. Mm. We're obviously having conversations in market. And even with our own internal employees, we have such a tight group here that I will have folks come to me and go, Yeah, the market's picking up again. I have five more recruiters coming into my inbox on LinkedIn and they'll tell me. And I go, okay, thanks. That's Intel for me. What's happening over there? What's happening over here? And I have to be on the ball because it's so easy to lose these folks because they're a hot commodity, right? You're very fortunate that you came in a company pretty early and you were able to establish the systems, the process. What piece of advice would you have to someone in that same position? They'd have to start from scratch. And the second part of that question is, what would you have done differently? You know, it's wild because I look back and I go, I did that? Because coming in as a recruiter, my only role at that time was to recruit for one of our talent accelerators. So it was called the Applied AI Lab, which still exists today. It's in its last term right now. I was responsible for coming in and scaling up this program, but it it turned into more. It was, okay, now we need you to hire for these full-time folks. We need you to hire for a head of quant. We need you to hire for all these other ventures that we have. And it was a lot because these roles that I was recruiting for, it was my very first time recruiting for them. And so I didn't have a pipeline of folks that I've spoken to in the past and was like, no problem. I got you. I know a few people here. I literally had to hunt from scratch and I was not confident. 
And I could tell in the way I was reaching out to people, I could tell when I was first having my initial phone call with them. I remember I would shake, like I was so nervous because I was like, am I explaining this right? Because I'm sitting in front of somebody that is an ML engineer, knows their stuff. And here am I like trying to sell a tech company that I'm just learning about. And so I think if I were to do it differently, it's to give yourself that time to really understand the business from the key players that are doing these roles and take the time to ask questions, even if you think they're stupid. Because I think I was a little bit shy of doing that. I had a little bit of imposter syndrome. I still do to today. I think everybody does. But it's just taking that step back and going, okay, I just need a minute to really understand this more. What I would also do if I could do anything differently is, let's say I had all the resources or the money in the world, I would build a team that sort of had their own superhero functions in a way, right? So I'd have somebody dedicated to that backend sourcing, building pipelines. I would have somebody dedicated to talent ops, pulling the metrics really telling us the story of what is this data telling us? What do we need to stay on top of? So I'd have a sourcer, I'd have a talent ops person. I would also have somebody more on the recruitment marketing side, full-time, pumping out content, really being relatable. And that's not just on LinkedIn because we need to be relatable to the Gen Z population coming out of school and we need to speak to that. So I would have those three superheroes and then I would also have the TA that would just do the full cycle recruiting So probably the reason you were so successful, if I may, Deanna, with these senior ML engineers, and you know that they're high demand, is probably because you were so authentic to say, hey, I don't understand this. And I believe that candidates in general are so endeared by that authentic admission that I could never do your job. And I believe recruiters are really successful when they are honest and they truly want to learn this and ask questions. That's what I love about recruitment is I'm learning from people who do this every day and they don't expect me to be able to do their job. Otherwise, I'd get the $900,000 a year. So I want to jump in to get your thoughts. I've seen you on LinkedIn, right? You create cool videos on TikTok and LinkedIn, and you should be doing more, in my opinion, because they are that good. But I want to ask you a question. How important is it for recruiters to build that personal brand? Well, thank you so much. That was so kind of you to say that. You know, I started doing it for fun because during the pandemic, TikTok blew up. And there was all these hilarious work from home videos. And I was like, I can relate. Like, that is so funny. That's so true. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can just create those. I love humor. I lean into it if I'm stressed out, if I'm uncomfortable. And so then I started making these short little videos and just going for it and posting it on LinkedIn. And I cannot stress enough how important it is to build that brand. It doesn't have to be a video. It doesn't have to be funny. But it took us to the next level. When I say us, it took Elta and Mel to the next level. We had way more visitors to our website. We saw an increase in engagement on Elta and Mel posts. We saw our in-mail response rate. At that time, prior to posting content, it was like a 45% in-mail response rate. I'm like, oh, we got to work on that. Then we start posting content and videos, and it went up to an 85% response rate. I'm like, okay, something's working here. And I think there is a method to that because I'm posting content, my team's posting content, and people are going, that person has personality. I can relate to that person. She's not just an annoying recruiter that wants something from me. 
I want to talk to her about that video. And now I have candidates that I meet and they go, oh my gosh, that one video you did about, you know, whatever. And I go, oh, you like that. And, And it's a fun conversation to have. I do try to tell my team, listen, if you're inspired, if you ever just want to post anything, do it, do it. And you don't have to ask for permission. It doesn't even necessarily have to be about Elta amount. It has to be about what you think people will really resonate with. And I find that LinkedIn sometimes can be ultra serious, ultra gloomy, and then having some humor to break it up is quite lovely for folks, I think, sometimes. We have all those job seekers on LinkedIn that are just desperate. And then if they see some humor, it really lightens their day. I was thinking that I was going to copy your Peloton video, but the look of me with spandex on LinkedIn would not be great at all. He turns sideways and disappear. (laughs) It was was, was risky. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to go for it, but it's 2023. So I think it's okay. I I think that's what people are looking for. And how do you stand out on a feed of everything is the same, right? And it catches your eye when you see something that's a little bit different. I want to finish off with your crystal ball prediction. We've had a volatile last year and a half, especially the last Mm. six months, I would say. What are you expecting for the last half of 2024 when it comes to recruitment? Do we expect a shift from an employer to an employee market? What's your thoughts there? I have a number of thoughts specifically for the tech industry and for AI, because that's really the bubble that I'm in right now. But I do think that we're going to see more of a shift of folks that need to have the hybrid skill sets, those people that can bridge the gap between AI and ML and other domains, people that can really apply these in finance and healthcare and manufacturing, not just one. And that's going to be really specific because it's going to heat up. I believe the AI market is always going to be hot. It's going to get even hotter down the line. And then ethics and responsible AI as well. There's going to be some more regulation coming into play here as we look at that. But having folks that understand what that means, understand what their part in that is, understanding bias, understanding all of that will be huge. And I know I'm talking on the talent side here, but then also I think we're still going to look at that sort of remote and global talent workplace, specifically for AI and ML. Because as you can see, like Netflix, other organizations are just scouting for folks that have knowledge of LLMs, et cetera, and they don't care where you live. And so that's great for them. They can really hone in. And then again, like the, those legal considerations, the regulatory considerations of AI ML. But I do think for AI ML, it'll be more of an employee market in terms Mm -hmm. of like employees having the power. It's interesting because they are so sought after that the world is their oyster. They can go anywhere. They can work remote. They can work in office. They can work hybrid. We as the employer have to make it work for them in a sense. And then that needs to work for our business model. So we have to pivot and listen to the market, listen to what people are really wanting. But it is interesting current date for us, at least for Alta and Mel. We've done like a recent employee engagement survey and really saying, okay, what do you prefer? Right now we're a hybrid. We do not enforce set number of days in office. We don't do any of that, but we say, hey, if you want to come in and have some human interaction, come in. And the data is telling us here right now that they want hybrid. It's not that they want fully remote. It's not that they want fully in office. Actually, who does? I don't think anybody wants fully in office anymore. But in 2024, it'll be interesting to see, is the hybrid model still going to be working? I think it will. But I also think 
we're going to have competition from other organizations coming for our talent that say, hey, you can work from anywhere. And we have, you know, shared office spaces. But yeah, that's my prediction. Perfect. So this was fantastic, Deanna. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your knowledge. If anyone listening wants to, first of all, follow you, get a hold of you, what's the best way? LinkedIn, baby. I'm on there all the time. I live on there. So please connect. If you want to make a video together, let me know. I love the talent family. I love recruitment HR fans. So we can all collaborate. Surgeon Shelly, we can make a video together. We can make a TikTok anytime you want. I'm in. I'm in. It's so fun. What are you doing this afternoon? We can figure it out. Make some content. Thank you. Have a wonderful day and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Au revoir. Shelly, let's face it. Texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And Mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, This is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rec.com txt.com mention the recruitment flex and get 10% off annual plans welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit fuel your purpose and connect us all we believe in the incredible power of the human spirit its boundless resilience and the inspiration it brings to our lives on the driving change podcast we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission, that through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.